And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. A podcast that is long overdue, Drancer. We last talked Sunday night after the players spoke when we have yet to speak since Jim Rutherford, Patrick Alvin, and Bruce Boudreaux addressed the media. But a uh, lot to digest, a lot to take away from what we've seen. Also, Abbotsford, who had their season come to an abrupt end. We're going to get into all of that. First, I got to do a mea culpa because the reason we've been delayed here is because I was in Toronto covering the CFL draft, playing host there, so we didn't get a chance to do this on Wednesday. But here we are, which means we can give you the complete wrap-up analysis, all of it, because there is just so much meat on this bone, my friend. So much. I mean, that Jim Rutherford availability stood out to me in real time, right? I mean, I was sitting there, and, you know, I, I think I've just become so used to this club leaning into and making the most optimistic and unconvincing fan arguments into official talking points. <laughs> you know, like, that's what I expect. So true. I expected to hear 106-point pace. I expected to hear, you know, when you look at how we played under Bruce, my goodness, were we good, right? We loved seeing the energy and the fans. We're building a winning culture now in that room, right? Like, I expected to hear all of that. Um, and instead we heard that, yeah, not convinced by what we saw in the latter half. You know, Bruce did a great job, but we didn't play with enough structure. If he comes back, we need to work together on some things. We particularly didn't like how we left the, the zone without control of the puck. Literally punt and hunt was a discussion point in the season ending availability far on. Um, it was you must have just like you, your chest had to be out through all of it because it was just everything you've been talking about and everything you wanted to hear. Well, yeah, it, it, was, yeah, it was the season ending availability for an audience of one me. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, 
yeah, you know what? I can imagine you just openly fist pumping um, and at the end asking for a side availability where you could just hug everybody. <laughs> I don't know that it went that far, but I definitely left and I was just like, the brass ones on those guys. Like, let's go. I definitely felt that way. Um, I'm just, I've gotten so used to covering, uh, you know, uninspiring, unambitious mediocrity within this organization and instead on tuesday i felt like we got standards and clarity and a plan and i may disagree with certain bits of it like for example the zone exits thing i i like that bruce boudreau changed the entire way he played with this terrible defense score because it 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 worked like he it allowed him to hit hide the club's inability as um, you know, a team to properly control play uh, and and to really ice like a you know a top four with a bunch of guys who have high end two A IQ in my opinion, right? I mean, I I thought that worked for for Rutherford. You know, it's not how he wanted to play. He doesn't think it was a sustainable way of playing. I I, I disagree with that. I, I think Boudreaux should be back. To be totally honest with you, Farhan. Yeah, we made the point. You know, we were texting about it that it, this is. The way they played should not be a criticism or an indictment of Boudreaux. He had no choice. This was done. You think he wants to punt and hunt? Like, do you think any coach makes that their strategy of choice? Well, maybe. That's their, I mean, it's their, well, maybe, but it's, then they're idiots, right? Like, they shouldn't be coaching in the NHL. You have to have a lot more forward speed, and you have to have a lot more forward size to want to play that way. Yeah, but right now, I mean, this team does this because they have no choice but to do this, right? Like, they're not physically equipped to transition the puck effectively outside of Quinn Hughes, so this is how they play, and they had no choice. So I don't know that that Alvin and Rutherford should hang that style on Boudreaux because they weren't good enough to do it differently. And, and also, I just, I do think Boudreaux should be back. I mean, I just think that he should be back based on how he performs. Well, hey, let's let's clear let's clarify. We both believe he should be back on an extension. On an extension. Yeah, oh yeah. I don't think I don't think you want him back on a one-year deal either. Right? Like people are like, "So, I had one guy say like, "So, it was a big deal when they didn't have Travis Green on a on a extend Travis Green, but you you know, you liked you liked what you heard from Jim even though he's willing to have Boudreaux back as a lame duck coach, right? And it's like, "No, no, no, no. There's no there's no um, dissonance here. I don't like when organizations fail to harmonize the incentives of management with the uh, with the organization, right? So I want to see this team, generally speaking, be aligned. Like I want to see the coach be aligned with the long-term interests of the organization and, you know, make sure that player development's on the menu too, right? I don't want to see this team grind out five wins after the playoffs have already begun and soar their draft stock from fourth to ninth. Like, I don't want to see that stuff. I don't want to see win-now deals made by a GM whose job's on the line. We've had enough of that. It's been a big problem. So, you know, that's my sort of viewpoint of it. Uh, I don't like the idea that Bruce would come back and work the final year of his deal, particularly because his vision for what this team can and should aspire to seems to be pretty fundamentally different from management's, right? I mean, Bruce Boudreaux gave us tweaks. He wanted tweaks to the roster. 
He talked about the three good centermen down the middle and Hughes and Demko as like a spine of a team that could be, in his words, really dangerous. And he thinks with some tweaks, they could be back. And then asked to sort of elaborate on, on what changes in particular, you know, he, he gave us depth. <laughs> which, which, you know, but he wasn't going to throw the defenseman under the bus. Like if he truly believes tweaks, he's not going to go there and say they need to get rid of this contract. They need to, we need four new defensemen or, you know, t- two new right side defensemen or what have you. Like he's not going to go well, in those kinds of specifics sure, because he, if the roster he, is it back intact with him, now he's throwing everybody under the bus. But I mean, in the past, he said, you know, more offensive type defensemen and speed. Right. I mean, he could have just gone back to the well with comments he's already made. Has he said more offensive type defenseman? I know he's yeah. definitely said speed. Yes, he definitely did earlier in the year. He said, you know, uh, you know, another another offensive puck moving type defenseman. Yeah. Were you surprised that that Alvin and Rutherford a went as far as they did, but b like before we wrap up on Boudreau because there's still a lot to get into there, but you know, it seemed awfully misaligned that Boudreau suggested on Monday that we've been talking and he's optimistic and the GM and president painted a completely different picture. Yes, they felt Boudreaux done a good job. Yes, they want him back. But if you listen to Boudreaux's comments on Monday, you you would have continued with the narrative that they're close to a deal. And then Tuesday, we're we're not even trying to get a deal. Yeah, no, I know. I, I, I'm not, I mean, I guess the, the main thing that Rutherford made plain was that there would be no extension and that there's a deadline of June 1st an option deadline for both sides on the contract. Um, Boudreaux would have clearly, well, not clearly, Boudreaux on on Monday anyway, was happy to keep those details private. I'm sure they are still talking. I'm sure there is an element to which there's some negotiation going. Right? You think so, hey? Has to be. One would think there has to be some type of... Uh, Why? Like, you know, we know if they have success, they're going to be talking during the season. But why would they talk now if they're not interested in doing an extension now? I mean, is this a negotiating tactic on the part of Rutherford to say, no, we don't want to sign him to an extension just to get the numbers down? I don't think it's a negotiating tactic because at this point, Rutherford's drawn such a line in the sand and is so clearly cognizant of his job. Like, this is a man who lives to be a GM. He's not a GM now. He's president. But, like, this is an experienced hockey exec. He's not going to draw a line in the sand like that and then go back on it. He can't. Um, it's just not. I, I just. I can't see that happening. But there's still a conversation to be had, which is, are you going to come back on the deal that we saw agreed previously agreed to, or are you going to leave? And so, still talking in terms of that side of it. I, I mean, I'd imagine that's true. I'd imagine that's true. There, there's not nothing to talk about just because the team said we're not going to discuss an extension. There's still a conversation to be had before June 1, and there's still a conversation to be had, particularly because of the way that Rutherford described what it would look like to bring Bruce back, where if Bruce comes back, they're going to be discussing, you know, things they need to work on together to improve the team. So, you know, what exactly is that? What, why, why did the conversation break down in this manner? Um, you know, there still seems to me to be a fair bit to discuss, in fact. If you're Bruce Boudreaux and you listen to that press conference, you know, certainly a lot of people, their interpretation of what was said by Alvin and Rutherford threw Boudreaux under the bus, criticized Boudreaux. So if you hear that in a public forum, how does that make you feel if you're Bruce Boudreaux? And I'm sure they've had that same conversation in person. 
I'm not willing, you know, I'm not suggesting that they haven't been upfront about their opinions on how this team has been operating. Maybe a bit surprised with what went public and, and probably a bit surprised that that went public considering how well the team performed under your leadership, right? But I mean, yeah, like, <laughs> you know, we only won because of goaltending. I, you know, I would say, I would say the analysis of the team's performance went further than I have gone. To be totally honest with you, Farhan. Yeah, and, and for me, I don't think it's accurate, right? Like, I think it, they started out because of goaltending. We've talked about it. I don't think they won in the last month, six weeks because of goaltending. Uh, no, I agree with you. They they won because of outrageously hot shooting. Although Demko yes. also was really good in April. Like Demko went on fuego again in in Dallas in late March. That was an unbelievable Demko game, and then in April that was the la- that was the last game Demko stole was that Dallas game. That was the last game he stole. No, but they were they were he was nine fifty five on five goaltending in in his six starts in April leading up to that those games against Ottawa and and Minnesota and Calgary where the season ended. So you know I mean I think he. I, I I think that's a bit of an overstatement. I, I, went, I, went, I went through it with, with Woodley in terms of games you could look at and say they won this game because of Thatcher Demko. Yeah. And we both went back to that Dallas game. I mean, everywhere, every other game, they scored goals. Well, they scored goals, but they had the, the April, the dead cap bounce in April was fueled by 110 PDO that included both a 95% uh, goaltending clip and an 18% on-ice shooting clip, right? I mean, if there was one part of the season to not get fooled by, it was really that that six game win streak in April, and so many people were like, "That was the si- series of games where they were really outplaying opponents." And it's like, eh, "That was the series of games where they had 110 PDO." So, but Demko was part of that. Dem- it's not like Demko wasn't playing great in in that in that stretch. It's just that the team was scoring enough that you know he could have he could have been allowing a few, and uh, and they still would have been fine. And well, he did. Well, yeah, he did. But I mean. The the expected goal differential of across those that across that six game winning streak, the expected goal differential was fourteen fourteen. Actual retail price was twenty one goals for eight against. So they were lucky in seven uh, in both directions by six to seven goals, right? So, but Demko was part of that. That's my only point. Okay. So I don't think it's unfair to say that. Look, we've been very fortunate in terms of the. I don't think it's unfair to say that we were very fortunate in terms of the goaltending considering that. Uh, Yeah, okay. I'll give you that to a point. But, I mean, Demko himself was, you know, not dying over his own performance at that point of the year, um, given what he felt he was capable of and given what he'd shown previously. But let's not get bogged down by goaltending. Let's let's stick with the comments. The Um, the point is they didn't win on the back of process. They didn't win on the back of structure. That is true. For sure. And, yeah, and, I'll give you and that. You could see it. You could see it. Like I think the Ottawa game where they started scrambling, or the Minnesota game, or the Calgary game, and you could see the work, but there wasn't there wasn't that sense of you know the 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 type of plan you can fall back on when your team gets tired. And you know, I don't know if you watched how much of the triple overtime game, Pittsburgh New York, did you watch? Minimal. It was during our show, right? During, okay. our coverage. during the CFL draft. Yeah. Um. There's this play toward the end of the second overtime, and the Pittsburgh Penguins get this beautiful scoring chance off of a faceoff set play with seven seconds to go in the second overtime, and it's like, oh my god, 
Like, how did that guy get so open? Well, that's the level of detail that Rutherford and Alvin are coming from, right? Which is the Mike Sullivan, you know, obsessive level of detail. The we can punish teams off set plays, off draws, and you know, we we've got all this pre-scouting done and we know the exact time to uncork it. And even when our players are tired, we can generate a chance like this. I was watching that game and watching the comp- the c- contrast between the Rangers and the Penguins, right? The Rangers have a ton of t- talent, but they're, you know, a pretty classic Gerard Gallant team, which, by the way, is not cla- is not far off from a Bruce Boudreaux team, right? Really good goaltending, great special teams, five-on-five play, eh, you know, like, it's fine. Um, players coach, sort of known as a bit laissez-faire, right? Um a little bit of a different env- environment, and then the Pittsburgh Penguins, who still have that, still have that the coach that you know Rutherford and Alvin rode to two Stanley Cups, where you know it's a it's a very different thing in terms of how you how you play, in terms of you know how you attack, how you defend, and I just thought it was fascinating, a fascinating contrast, and one that sort of illustrated for me what it is that Alvin and Rutherford want versus what they probably see on the other side. Um and and I'd recommend for Canucks fans like you want to you want to understand what they're talking about, watch watch those two teams, watch the contrast between those two teams. The Rangers might win that series by the way. It's not even to sort of throw stones at at Gallant or at or at Boudreaux, both coaches who know, you know, something important because they've had a ton of success and they'll continue to have a ton of success so long as they're behind NHL benches. Those guys are going to win games. It's just that there's a distinction. There is a distinction in terms of of structure, as Rutherford put it. And if you want to understand what they're getting at, that's the series for you. That's the series that will illustrate what Rutherford likes on the Pittsburgh side and what he sees on the other. What do you think of the fan reaction in the two days since the comments? Because honestly, it's been more measured than I thought. I thought people would have been aghast that anybody would take any kind of, uh, you know, umbrage at Bruce Boudreaux and what he's done and not that the entire fan base doesn't want Boudreaux back, but I, you know, I I certainly believe that a certain level of good faith that was injected into the organization after Benning's firing and with the addition of, of these two, especially Rutherford, who's won Stanley cups. I I think that's still there. I, I think they haven't all of a sudden said, Oh, here we go again with this level of, you know, uncertainty. I, I, I do think there's still some faith in what's above them. Well, I think the key part for me, Farhan, and I sort of brought this up a, a couple weeks ago, but it's an important thing to remember is that the most vociferous supporters of Boudreaux, right? Like the fan base, the hardcore fan base latching onto Boudreaux, latched onto Boudreaux because it was a proxy for hope, a proxy that the organization could go in the right direction, right? Well, Rutherford also is a proxy for hope. And more than that, the organization itself is a proxy for that that hope, a vessel for which hopes and dreams can be poured into. So at the end of the day, those fans are never going to be that mad at something the organization does because they're always going to support what the organization does. You see what I'm saying? So it's like it's like they those are those are the fans that are are most likely to have their reaction to uh, a guy they really like, a guy who's popular among them, i.e. Boudreaux, 
um, sort of not, you know, not disrespected, but just like if he is, if the organization decides to move on, well, the organization decides to move on and we support the organization. So that sort of mutes the anger. Yeah, I just think there's a there's a credibility there, and you know, and the and the hope that was established with the change is is still in place, right? So, um, you know, I look at it, and I think it's a. I've been impressed by the reaction. I thought people would lose their collective minds on Tuesday when you know they didn't announce. Not only did they not announce an extension for Bruce, there it is. They opened the door to Bruce. There he went. Uh, let's um, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I do want to ask you how you think this plays out before we get into other aspects of the roster and other changes that we might see coming. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So at the end of the day, in all of this, Drancer, will Bruce Boudreaux be the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks next season? Because you have to believe there are going to be options. And as you guys laid out, just how many teams are operating with coaches in the final year of their deals and other other teams that are going to simply make a coaching change based on performance? Um, and, you know, and I was surprised to see how many are now coaching into the final year of their deals. Um Bruce Boudreaux is going to have some options. You know, we saw Tampa Bay finally win. And if they wind up winning in the first round again, uh, is there a change in, t- in Toronto? Uh, I don't think there is, but certainly a lot of people closer to it than I think it's a real possibility. Uh, you look at Philadelphia, which is two hours away from the place Bruce, Bruce Boudreaux calls home in Hershey, Pennsylvania, uh, with a good friend of his and Chuck Fletcher, who might also be on thin ice. Um, that's, that spot's going to come open. It might be an opportunity that presents itself from him or for him. What winds up happening here with Bruce Boudreaux? Does he take an opportunity to get some certainty, to get some, uh, just, you know, to, to get an extension and just know that he's got that stability? Uh, or does he come back and want to finish what he started here? I think more than anything, Boudreaux is just going to want to keep coaching, right? I mean, he talked about how much he loved it, how much he missed it, how much he appreciated getting the other shot. So if Boudreaux doesn't find an opportunity he likes, I think he's going to be back. Uh, the ones to watch for me are going to be Philadelphia and Vegas and maybe Toronto, but I, I think there'd have to be bigger changes in Toronto. Uh, I think it would I think it would require a management change, because if if Rutherford and Alvin are analy- are so analytical that they look at Boudreaux and think, ah, that's not for us. Well, I can guarantee you the even more analytical front yeah. office is going to feel the same. So, yeah, for sure. You know, I think the. The Philly possibility is an interesting one. If if Chuck Fletcher is on a hot seat, well, one thing that guys who are on a hot seat often do is turn to their guys more than anything, right? I mean, you think about Bob Murray hiring Carlisle. Um, no, but if you're Boudreaux, do you want to go into that situation where there, you know, the structure and stability that you want might not be there in a year? Yeah, al- although do you not feel that way about this opportunity now too, considering? you know, the what the plans that were laid out. It's not like it doesn't feel like you're going to just get the same group and sort of run it back. Right? I mean it feels like changes are coming in terms of Yeah, but they're not equipped they're not equipped to make massive changes. You and I both know that. What what do you mean? 
the Canucks? Well, based on their cap situation, it's going to be difficult for them to make massive changes this offseason. Unless season. they clear, it's going to take time. Unless they clear space. Uh, I mean, I think you can make, for sure. I right? think you can make massive changes this offseason fairly easily, if so long as you're willing to walk away from various players who perform pretty well this season. You know, I mean, if you're if you're going to look to Put it this way: If you if you decide you can't come to terms with J T. Miller and trade him, if you trade Connor Garland, and if you trade one of Tyler Myers or the Oliver Ekman Larson possibility feels remote to me, but Elliot Friedman brought it up, so has to be has to be paid attention to now. I mean, if you do those three things, well, then you're looking at a team with thirty million in cap space, and you can see massive changes. Yeah, like I say, if you brought it up, you're right. I, I don't see a I don't see a path to moving one of the defensemen, and uh, certainly I see a path to moving Miller. Oh, there's a path to moving um, Myers. Uh, there really is. Like I don't think Myers would even be for me. He's a hold because I think he has more value a year from now. But I think he could get you positive value now. Now, really, I do. Wow. He played so much for this team, and he's a right-handed defenseman who's six foot seven, who's been around. Who who has a reputation? Do you, think, do you think that part of it matters that much to Boudreaux that you know it, it's got to be the same team? No, no, I don't. I don't. I'm sure it doesn't. But how does it play out? If you're going to what with Boudreaux? Yeah, I don't know. I I think it's going to about the narrative that he and Alvin don't get along. Well, I, I I don't know. I I don't really have a sense of that. But I think I think you can understand. I mean. It's clear that there was there was something about how the team played under Boudreaux that the team didn't that the management didn't particularly think highly of. They they brought up zone exits, but I'm sure it's more than that. Um, the Canucks did get punished off of set plays. Like I bring up that Pittsburgh play for a reason. The Canucks got scored on a fair bit off of set plays on, under Boudreaux. Um, you know, the, there's not a ton of matchup discipline in terms of the way that Boudreaux deploys his bench, right? You're not sort of picking sure. at the soft underbelly of rosters. The, the way I like to think about it is, uh, you know, the parable of the hedgehog and the fox. Uh, the fox knows lots of things, lots of little things, and the hedgehog knows one big thing, right? Boudreaux's a hedgehog. Boudreaux knows one big thing, and it's that if you apply a ton of pressure on your opponent and play aggressively... Um, you put yourself in more favorable positions all all over the ice on the penalty kill, uh, even even in terms of your defensive play. If you're playing aggressively, teams don't generate as much. Boudreau knows one big thing, and that big thing in a, in a hockey world where everyone's so conservative makes a huge difference, right? Like it makes a huge difference tactically. It makes him brilliant. Honestly, it does. And he's going to win games. He's going to win a lot of games if he comes back with this team. He will win more games than the true talent level of this roster. If he goes elsewhere, he'll do the same. Uh, I'm convinced. I'm a believer now. But, but you know, I, I, I think there might not be a appetite. Like, there might not be an appetite for some of the loose change that, that you know, isn't, isn't necessarily picked up on the way. And, and, and that's sort of, I think, the, the basis of it. As for the personal relationships, like I don't have a sense of it. Truly, I don't. I, I don't know. I haven't heard um, about like any deep enmity. Um, you know, I, I wasn't shocked to hear about a clash of sort of wider strategy. Here's my question for you, Farhan. Does the way that this has played out 
and the, you know, sort of um, doubt cast on Boudreaux's future in Vancouver, does that suggest strongly that the way the club moved in late November to to replace Green and, and Benning was perhaps messier <laughs> than we realized and that the public explanations suggested? Well, it would certainly look that way, you know, and, and again, the timing of it all was bizarre back then, you know, and we certainly were left to believe that Rutherford had been spoken to by ownership and did sign off, approve of, give his blessing to whatever you want to say, which is now kind of muted, hiring Boudreaux before they hired Rutherford. Yeah. Right. So it certainly does look like, yeah, that that got a lot messier in terms of timing and why they went about it the way they did. but. um you know, when I look at it, you know, on the surface, you would have thought that that relationship worked, but then Rutherford went and hired Alvin and, you know, now we're led to believe that, you know, he, he kind of gave a tepid endorsement of, of Boudreaux and maybe wasn't necessarily, um, it wouldn't necessarily have been his first choice, but he himself hadn't made the decision to come yet at that point either, even though things were headed in that direction. So all of it, the timing of it certainly looked messy from that point of view for, for what it's worth like you look through rutherford's hires right <clears throat> and you're talking about paul maurice you're talking about peter laviolette right you're talking about um mike johnston you're talking about mike sullivan like his coaching hires traditionally have been of a more tactical hard driving sort right like he hasn't had the players coaches typically like that you know i'm just saying like you look through yeah, his 20 true. year track record as a executive and like you know there's there's some pretty significant similarities in terms of maurice sullivan laviolette and you can hear echoes of it um you know in his comments about about boudreaux so it, again an interesting dynamic and and i think if fans want to understand it go watch rangers pittsburgh like, go watch that series so what do you see happening by June 1st? I, I My gut tells me Boudreaux going to be back. Really? Yeah. And, and I just say that because the other opportunities might not be the ones he wants, right? Like, I, I just think there's a lack of stability in that Philadelphia situation. Uh, you know, he may get the contract he wants, right? So now you know you're going to get a buyout. But, you know, I think at this stage of his career, Bruce Boudreaux wants to coach. It's not simply about getting paid. He wants to coach. That's how he defines himself. That's what he enjoys the most. He doesn't want to get into a situation that, yeah, I might get a three-year deal because my buddy took care of me and I'm getting paid. But at the end of the day, after the first year, I'm sitting on my ass because he's been shown the door. Yeah. I mean, the Philadelphia thing's interesting, but, but what about Vegas? Vegas would be the, the one wild card option because I think that team is also a lot closer than its record indicated this year. Yeah. So if you want to walk no into kidding. that situation with that, with that amount of talent, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it probably is a good fit. And, you know, maybe he goes to the tables and rolls the dice in Vegas. You never know. But uh, I, I think that could be a good fit for him. I, I don't know about what George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon feel. And I mean, I, you know, I've heard Kelly McCrimmon's also on a bit of a hot seat there. But I don't know how their view is of Bruce Boudreaux as a head coach in terms of, you know, the type that that fits what they're looking to do. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Like, at the end of the day, I think the ball is in the Canucks have put the ball firmly in Boudreaux's court in terms of public perception and I think in fact um, we'll see what things look like in a couple of weeks I mean if I was representing Bruce if I was Gil Scott um, you know I, 
my advice would be take 10 days. Take 10 days. Let's see what shakes loose here. Like, there are some teams that could make changes after the playoffs, after they're eliminated from the first round. Like, we'll, we'll sort of see. There, there could be situations that open up you don't expect. We've got 25 days. Let's use it. And Do you see a scenario where it just leads to more acrimony the longer he waits? No. Why? Why? I mean, what's... Because that's why he's waiting. No. Right? Because no, ultimately... Why? I mean, you've got no, the No, because he agreed, but it... You want me to work on this contract? This is what the contract specifies. I'm taking my time. That's it. There's no, no acrimony there. Yeah, I don't know. You're I, holding, I, I you're think the holding long... me to my commitment. This is what my commitment entails. I would like to take some time. That's logical, but that doesn't mean it doesn't... It's not going to have an effect the longer he waits, because now basically you're saying, oh, I'm just going to see if something better com- comes up and I'm going to wait as long as I can to see if that option presents itself. But that's, that's his right. That's his right. It is his right. But that doesn't mean that's business. how, you, you know, the, or- the organization, the organization has made a decision early. We want you back, but we don't want you back on an extension. So yeah. Yes, you have until June 1st to decide, but they've even said themselves that, yeah, we'd like to get a decision sooner than later, even though they've acknowledged that he has until June 1st. So no, but I mean, you take your time. At, at the very least, you take two weeks. Like at the very least, you take. Well, and the law, lo- but the longer it goes, the longer it goes, the more likely it is that he's not back. Right. Well, and uh, but I, I mean, I just I would find it difficult if I were in Boudreaux's shoes, considering what I've accomplished and my resume, to come back considering how my work is clearly regarded. You know, you want to work for people. Yeah. You want to work for people who believe in you. No question. Well, no question. So, I mean, I think that's a huge factor. You can't underrate that. Um, if I'm if I'm Boudreaux, I'm taking my time and I'm I'm waiting to see what presents itself. Like, what about you know what about a Dallas, right? Like that's an, that would be a really intri- intriguing situation for me if I was Bruce. So, um, you know, there's a lot of good young pieces there, right? I don't think that team's far off if they stop playing Glenn Denning twenty minutes a night. <laughs> so you know i think there's i think there's some interesting opportunities and i if I, I would expect i would expect this to wait at least 10 days before it plays out just based on the shape of uh you know the leverage and pressure points that as as they've been explained to us by rutherford and who do they look for in terms of guys that are available boy you'd think travis green would be a jim rutherford type coach oh my God. who do they look for yeah um i mean Gronberg is a name that's come up a lot. He's had a ton of success at the international level. Uh, Team Sweden really married, got married to the four forwards, one defenseman set like five years before anyone else in international hockey and had a durable competitive advantage Uh, as a result, um, you know, in the earlier part of this decade. uh, Obviously, he's done a tremendous job, but that system is highly, highly thought of. Um, you know, that's, that's one that would make some sense. I think, um, you know, then you sort of just look at guys who are, then you sort of look at guys who are just like Rutherford guys, right? I mean, you end up sort of in that spot, guys who've worked with him before. And that's sort of where you get to, um, you know, that's where you get to sort of the, the, um, what's, what's his name? The, uh, Oh my goodness. The um the Paul Maurice class, although I, I heard Darren Drager say that, you know, that wasn't that didn't seem like his um that didn't seem to be his uh 
Rutherford or Maurice doesn't seem to be too keen on coaching again in Canada. Um, but you know, there's uh, there's other people. There's other there's other people with those connections. Uh, you know, if you're a player, if you're a player, you know, you wanted the warm and fuzzy, cuddly approach of Bruce Boudreaux on the heels of Travis Green. We understand that there are, you know, we know that there's a lot of players, especially the younger players, that were it, the coaching change definitely benefited. Right, that Boudreaux was able to get the most out of. So now, if you're, you know, we talk about scars that were left on that roster coming out of what happened in the previous two off seasons, right? From uh, COVID to you know taking the leadership out of the room to you know going to you know just completely no spending, and we understand that the scars that were left and a, a certain level of faith that needed to be brought back and restored, and that was starting to happen. With all the changes, management and coaching, right? I mean, if you're a player, you probably feel really good about how the season ended because that's how they're wired. We're really good. We like our friends who are now in this room and, you know, we're good. We're, we're close. We just need B Bruce back. So now you're hearing all this stuff about Bruce might not be coming back and the management doesn't like how we played and they could be bringing in a hard ass. Right. How are the players viewing all this? As they said, if the players don't like it, they'll be gone before the new coach. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, well, and things aren't complicated enough, right? That's, because you That's how it should be, though, right? Like, that's how it it's, should be. Well, you, look, I've said that from the beginning. I think there's a complete lack of accountability. And I was critical at the beginning, not because I was necessarily a, a green guy, but because I just hate the fact that everything falls at a coach and players have no responsibility in all this. Yes, it should be that way. But, you know, and I'm sure it will be that way if the new management team hires their guy they're going to run with him for a while and that's just the way it has to be but it, you know it, it feels like you take two steps forward forward and two steps back immediately with this team yeah uh, by the way the name i was searching for was mike Vellucci in the last one he was um former carolina hurricanes executive under under jim rutherford and then he he was transferred to the bench of their ahl affiliate the charlotte checkers with whom he won a calder cup and he's currently an assistant coach on Mike Sullivan's staff. That would be a name well, with a lengthy, a lengthy track record of connection to Rutherford uh, worth keeping in mind. But but look, the the fact is, is the idea that you should keep Boudreaux to keep the players happy. You know, that's exactly backwards. Like, no, I know, but it's just it's just a le it's not even Boudreaux to keep the players happy, but it's also now more volatility, more change. Um, at a time when they were finally starting to get settled and comfortable, and comfort isn't always a good thing, but you know they're in a good place as a group. The you know the the young core stability would be valuable, right? Like I've been talking about that for a long time. I think it would be valuable for this organization to have the sense of stability that Boudreaux would bring. But you know, in a world where this ownership group was so shocked by how this season started and started scrambling and ended up, you know, um hiring a coach before they hired a president right ended up putting stan smeal out as the figurehead of hockey operations for three days right i mean if that was all as messy behind the scenes as you know i now think it was right i, I thought it was in the time at the time but i i think we now can say with a little bit more confidence that this was just a scramble show to offset you know what was effectively a fan rebellion um if that was all the case and if this management group truly believes that they need to function in a different way then you know i don't have a problem with their approach here i don't have a problem with them going about building what they want especially if it's going to be as process driven 
and as results independent in terms of how they evaluate themselves, as it certainly seems to be based on their commentary about Boudreaux's, you know, performance and the team's performance. That to me is a good sign. You need to be stubborn about your approach. You need to be consistent and you need to be disciplined within it, especially in a hard capped league like the NHL. This organization has lacked that type of consistency. To me, that's more important than stability. And if that's what if that's what results in more change, then I think you can't not only can live with it, but I think that's an exciting change for this organization. All of that said, you know, in the event that Boudreaux's back and he's working a lame duck year, then it feels like the old palace intrigue Canucks are going to continue again. So I do think there's a substantive risk here that's being taken by the club. And for me, the risk isn't so much that Boudreaux walks. It's that, you know, they end up bringing a guy back who clearly they, you know, harbor some doubts about in terms of his approach. And and that to me sort of violates the main reason for optimism that I took from Thursday's availability or Tuesday's availability, excuse me. Let's take one more quick break. And when we come back, I want to get into Abbotsford and talk about the first order of business beyond a coaching decision. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. So, Drencher, let's change gears and talk Abbotsford. Wow, that was disappointing. I mean, we were talking about this playoff run and Pod Colson and, you know, all the others that they're going to be getting back and, you know, what this could mean for the organization if even at the minor league level, you know, much like what happened in Toronto, if they can go out and they can win a bunch of games and, you know, and, and get into a second or third round and, and get people excited about what's to come and put these guys into some stressful situations and all of it, two games, two one-goal games. Two one-goal games that ended either late in regulation or in overtime. Yep. Where they got good goaltending performances, where they did a lot good. And really, it's not just those two games. It's two games that came on the heels of two games that prevented them from hosting playoff games after a really good run in April. Um, Yeah, I mean, two one-goal games is a tough way to go out. Um, You know, I I saw a lot of commentary about, like, Jet Wu playing forward and Daniela Klimovich being scratched yesterday. Um, you know, fair. Uh, that commentary is fair. You look through and there was some other guys, like guys like Carol Plaschik only played eight games and some of that was injuries, but some of that was not. Some of that was coaches' decisions. You know, there's a lot of money spent on this AHL franchise, on this AHL roster, and to not get a result in the playoffs is tough. But I still think you have to look at this inaugural season as a massive success, a smashing success, and not just because, and not just because 
the club made the playoffs and overcame a ton of really odd disruptions and um you know that the market responded pretty well considering uh but also because when guys came up they were ready right when guys came up Sheldon Dries, Nick Patan, you know, when guys were signed with Abbotsford in mind and ended up spending the whole season in Vancouver, like Burroughs and Hunt, um, you know, when when Juleson came up, he gave them good minutes. Uh, Spencer Martin, you know, he's going to be part of the team next year. That's a huge success story. Like the way that this roster was built paid dividends, even if it didn't result in playoff wins, it paid dividends at the NHL level because it raised the club's floor. They had more ability. When the injuries struck, it, this wasn't the Brogan Rafferty, Mike, uh, Mark Michaela show, right? All of a sudden you had real depth players, real NHL level depth players giving you games as opposed to HL players giving you games. And it mattered. It mattered for this NHL club. So more than anything, my hope is, is that the resources given to Abbotsford in the inaugural year continue to be given to Abbotsford and that the team spends like this because it's off cap spending, but it matters a ton. For a decade, because if you do it for a decade, you're going to accrue massive competitive advantages. That that to me is the most important thing. I do think the interesting question stemming out of this is, um, are, is there a coaching change that's going to happen down there too? So my curiosity now goes to whether or not the Canucks might hire two different coaches this offseason, Farhan. Yeah, it'd be amazing if that's the way it wound up going, given, uh, you know, the fact that we've had Travis Green for, for three years, the fact that Trent Cole's been uh, in the minors with this organization for a little bit here, and uh, at least from a minor league front, we didn't expect it to go this way, but here we are. Uh, instability on both fronts, and you know the organization has talked about uh, the improvements they made this past offseason you know, by bringing the team back here, but also... You know, they're talking about facility upgrades both here in Vancouver. Boy, it feels like just yesterday they changed the locker room over to what we were calling at the time the Starship. And now that's dated. And, you know, a new practice facility and upgrades they can make in Abbotsford and all of it. But um, within all of those improvements, there could be coaching changes and a little more instability before they can actually get forward down the path that they want. For us, look, we're going to wrap it here. Um, there's just so much to get into. And now that it's officially the off season, we have got... We're, we, you know, we're going to be doing two shows a week. We're looking at doing live rooms uh, at this time as well, even though there's no games to get into. But just trying to get a sense of what the fans want. But lots to talk about as we're now fully into the off season. We're going to wrap it up here. If you're looking for other podcast options, Andrew Ladd joins the roundtable with Pizzo, Sivian, and Granger on the Athletic Hockey Show. As for us, look, thanks for listening to the VanCast. It's been an interesting couple of days here with the players and then coaches, coaching staff and management talking and giving us what's Day, what's going to lay ahead for this organization so follow us on your favorite podcast platform don't forget to leave a rating and a review and right now you can get annual subscriptions to the athletic for just a dollar a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash the vancast and uh, we will be back early next week